the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you this afternoon on this fine Tuesday afternoon. Today is Flag Day. Did you know that? Pops up on your calendar probably. Question. Here's a question for you. Flag Day. For the Christian person, what's the role of the flag? There's a lot of talk about Christian nationalism today and an overemphasis on the role of our country and our faith or maybe a Christian's attitude about uh, the flag or about our country or whether we are overly supportive or or not supportive enough about our country. Flag Day, I thought it's a good day to, to think about that and think about uh, how we look at our country and our flag and what it means. Do you put the flag out? Are you one of these people who uh, does that? We usually do. We usually put a flag out. Uh, usually we put it out about Memorial Day and leave it up kind of through Labor Day. That's been our tradition. We're not this year because we're in the middle of moving and uh, everything is getting packed up, uh, which is a whole other story out there. You can join our conversation, by the way. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. If you want to join our conversation, the number is 888-528-2557. Anyway, we usually put a flag up and uh, keep it up kind of throughout the summer doesn't rain much, you know, and uh, we've got a light on it out there. I know a guy, he passed away recently, and uh, every day at his house, he would have a flag ceremony. He'd get up in the morning early, he's a veteran, World War II veteran, and uh, he would hoist the flag right on a flagpole. He put a flagpole right in his front yard, hoisted up the flag. He did this every single day, and uh, before the sun would set, he would come out and uh, pull the flag down. And it was kind of a great story because a couple of his neighbors would come out often and sort of join him for the uh, the ceremony. There wasn't much ceremony to it. It's just he would just go out and put it up there. And uh, then he would uh, come back out later and take it down. And anyway, so today is Flag Day. Is that something that's meaningful? It's kind of an old holiday. I think we put out flags for Memorial Day and Veterans Day and Fourth of July, of course, coming up. Lots of people keep flags out. Uh, if you drive down the neighborhood, you probably see various houses with American flags. I don't know if you think about it, they're all over the place, right? They're everywhere on tops of buildings and lots of different places. Do you know where it came from? Uh, We've had it for about 100 years as an official holiday, uh, Flag Day. Um, And uh, President Eisenhower had a lot to do with making us uh, pay attention to the flag that way. It goes back to uh, the American Revolution, broke out in 1775-ish. Uh, and uh, colonists weren't united under a single flag. It was an interesting thing, right? We were 13 states, and people had different backgrounds coming from all over the place trying to unite as one nation, and it got pretty confusing. And so in June of 1775, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia and uh, created uh, the Continental Army so that they could fight that war. Uh, That was the idea. But also they uh, wanted to have an American flag. And they they did it. At first, there was a first flag. It was comp- comprised of 13 red and white alternating stripes. And then it had the Union Jack in the corner, 
which was the British symbol, right? So people thought that was a little bit too confusing, as you would. And George Washington realized that flying that flag that was uh, even remotely close to the British flag was not a great confidence builder for the revolutionary effort. So he turned his efforts toward creating a new symbol of freedom. And uh, that's how the flag conversation actually happened. On June 14, 1777, the Second Continental Congress took a break from writing the Articles of Confederation. little history for you as we think about Flag Day. And uh, they passed a resolution. Getting this from history.com. It's not off the top of my head, lest you think I just have this information. I have a lot of information in my head. I really do. It's a, it's a strange thing. I probably ought to go on Jeopardy or one of those shows. Maybe they still need a host. Did they need a host for that show? I keep thinking they keep firing all their hosts. There's some weird controversy over there, right? Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Flag, Flag Day. And this is, the res- this is the resolution from June 14th, 1777. The flag, quote, the flag of the United States, B, 13 stripes, alternate red and white. And that, quote, the Union, B, 13 stars, white in a blue field, representing our, a new constellation. And then they have the circle of stars, you know, in the old, uh, old flag. hundred years later, Woodrow Wilson marked the anniversary of that decree by officially establishing June 14th as Flag Day. So a holiday, Flag Day. We don't get the day off. Maybe you don't even think about it too much. Do you do? Did you do anything for Flag Day? Did you even think about it much? I, like I said, I usually have a flag outside of my house. It's uh, in the little thing, and that's there already by the time I get around to Flag Day. Do you have any feeling about this? Where should the church be? Is there a Christian thought about the flag? You know, how do we hold it in the right regard without it becoming something that we worship, something that goes in front of the gospel? And how do we as citizens and as Christian citizens not regard it and what it symbolizes as less than what it should? You know, a lot of people have died for the principles behind that flag. A lot of people have fought. A lot of people are fighting now for those principles. In fact, I think that when we have those principles under attack or those principles confused by a lot of people, um, it's harming the nation in a sense because we wonder where we're headed. What is the vision? See, we have a great vision in our, our founding documents, right? It's the the goals that we haven't reached. We have national sins that have have directed many of us away from those goals. We have things that have led us to civil war. Ultimately, we are about to have probably a national uh, debate about abortion and uh, some other things that all of that at the core of it is the idea of denying people, whether it be abortion or denying people of um, races, uh, different races, minority groups, or whatever, uh, however you want to define it, denying people the rights that are guaranteed to them by our Constitution and by our founding documents, the ideal of who we ought to be. I think it's important to have an ideal out there. That's what concerns me about some of what we say when we're tearing down our country. We've always had problems, and we have original sins, and we have things that are that are deadly to our country, but not deadly because they are grounded in our our you know national aspirations, but because they are not because maybe we forgot that we really are a beacon for the world. There's a reason that the, uh, the Statue of Liberty was, was meant to be facing outward, uh, not simply to welcome people into liberty, but also to say that liberty should expand throughout the world. When you study the history of our country and the history of people longing for freedom, it's a battle. Freedom is, is not free. And 
that is what our flag, I think, should stand for. And I don't think it's wrong to criticize our country or to be uh, concerned about the direction of it or to point out our flaws, our national sins, the things that we struggle with. But I think there's some good things about the flag that we should pay attention to. I also think that it can become something that is more important to Christians than the gospel. You know, how passionate are you about national issues, political issues? Does that really get you going? And does it get you going more than telling the people that you know about Jesus? Would you rather convince them to your side of the aisle on a political debate, or would you rather them come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? And that's a good question that we all should ask ourselves all the time. We have passions about all kinds of different things. Now, what is it that is really driving us? And that's a big question for the church. You know, are we driven? It's an election year is in our churches, uh, particularly in a year like this, when we are going to deal with some moral issues, when we've got the abortion issue, uh, when we've got drag queen story time and whether or not you should take your kids to that and uh, lots of things this month that raise a lot of questions um, about how to raise your kids. You know, I would never take my kids to like a... uh, a pornography parade, I had a conversation today about uh, with a teacher about how to lock down all the internet stuff in my house so that my kids just don't have the ability to access that while they're in the house as they get older and they have these devices and things. And I think most parents would be on that page. And yet there are things in our cultural life. If you go to a pride parade, it's it's not something that really is family friendly in the way that you used to think about that. Um, we take our kids to movies and things that are not family friendly. We seem to be allowed, maybe allowing ourselves to do a little bit more of that these days. And I think some of the the thought is we're not paying attention to where we're going as a country, what it does to our kids, what the future is. We're not as interested in education as we ought to be. We're interested in graduation. A lot of people graduating today. I was driving around at lots of graduation ceremonies I saw in our neighborhood here. And uh, I know different school districts are are different all the way around. Some of you already graduated and you did that in May. Others of you right now in the middle of June. For me, it's always been the middle of June. Every school I was a part of, middle of June, that's when we got out. And uh, I I long for the old days of you don't go back to school until after Labor Day. That's the way it used to be. But now everybody seems to go back in August, which seems like a crime. But um, what is it that you think, if you've got a thought about this for the Christian? I think that we ought to love our country, and I think we ought to acknowledge the sins of our country and the failings of it. But the failings of it aren't the failings of uh, the ideals. It's the failure to live up to those ideals right from the start. And we can acknowledge that and still say we have ideals that we need to push forward to. They're still the best in the world. They are. That's why people still want to come here. Uh, That's why with all of the problems even we have today, you know, where would you rather be? I know some of you are thinking of moving overseas. You're thinking of moving to, you know, New Zealand, I've got some friends who moved to New Zealand. They love it. And uh, hello, you're probably listening out there because I know you can. And uh, I've got some friends who have moved to Australia. And except for the COVID lockdowns, they've been pretty happy about it. Some people who moved to different places in Europe who who like it, who would like to go back. But I don't know if it's because they just liked it better or they just like to change the pace. Sometimes it's good to move to a new part of the world and you get a change of pace, Right. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. The number is 888-528-2557. It's Flag Day, and uh, there's some interesting stories about Flag Day. Did you know that it's actually not 
accepted today in, uh, at least it's not embraced by historians that Betsy Ross actually designed the flag. And the flag was clearly designed by the Continental Congress, as I read before. Maybe she stitched the first one, but in her lifetime, nobody acknowledged her for that. Her grandkids came out with a press conference in the 1870s and said, yeah, uh, Grandma Betsy uh, sewed this all together. And no one's really sure if that's true or not. Uh, interesting how stories develop uh, that way. But at some point, people came up with, there's actually a debate about, there's probably a bunch of people who came up with the 13 stripes and what they mean and all of that uh, different stuff. Here's something that I enjoyed, though. I read this story about in the 1950s when it seemed certain that Alaska was going to join the Union. Um, designers have to keep re- retooling the flag, right? Every time a state joins, you got to change the flag. Uh, that might be, I've wondered before if that's the reason that we're reluctant to add Puerto Rico right now. Uh, because it's going to cost so much to put a, a 51st star on there. In 50 states, it sounds pretty good. Like it it kind of sounds like we're done. I mean, I don't think that's the intent, but doesn't that, it feels like, oh, we're the 50 states for most of us for our whole life. Well, 50 states. Uh, there's always been 50 states, but um, maybe it's going to be hard to add a 51st state. And what would that design look for, look like? There must be a way. I think you do it in in rows of sixes or seven. There's some way to do it. Uh, maybe you can figure it out. Here's how it got. Here's how the 50 star state, 50 star flag got developed here. 1950s, uh, Alaska was going to join the union. It was going to move us from 48 states to 49 states. 49, I guess you could just have a bunch of sevens together. But a 17 year old student in Ohio named Bob Heft borrowed his mother's sewing machine. How, is that even possible today that you could borrow your mom's sewing machine? Do you have one at home? Uh, I know some of you quilters do. Some of you have entire rooms dedicated to uh, sewing machines and putting things together. He disassembled his family's 48-star flag, probably in violation of all kinds of code. And then he stitched together the 50 stars in a proportional pattern, the one that you see. And he gave his creation to his history teacher for a class project. And what he said was, yes, we're adding the 49th state Hawaii, but I or uh, Alaska, but I think Hawaii is going to be added too. And he s- predicted that. And he was correct. Uh, well, Heft also sent his flag design to his congressman, a guy named Walter Moeller, who then presented it to President Eisenhower after both new states joined the Union. Eisenhower selected Heft's design. And on July 4th, 1960, the president and the high school student stood together as the 50-star flag was raised for the first time. And according to the story, uh, Bob Heft's teacher promptly changed his grade from a B- minus to an A, which I guess you would. I mean, if you... If you are a uh, high school student and you design the new American flag as part of a class project, I suppose that's worth some extra credit. That's worth a little bonus, wouldn't you say? Uh, You know, um, do I get extra credit for designing the American flag that will be flown for the next 70-plus years, 72 years? I think that's pretty cool. Uh, That's a pretty cool story. Flag code stipulates that stars and stripes should not be used as apparel, bedding, or drapery. How many of us are in violation of that today? I We've got, uh, I've got a room in my house full of uh, like flag stuff. It's a bedspread and there's a pillow and uh, I think some other flag stuff. Uh, I should get my wife, Christy, on here to explain it. She could probably just list it all off, blah, 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 blah. That's what it is. I unfortunately have trouble noticing things like that, as she would also point out. And we've been married uh, uh, 20, uh, 21 years. Yeah, 21 years. Had to do the math. And, uh, you know, a great part of our marriage is that we've come to understand each other. Uh, she's come to understand that if she does something new in the house that she should point it out to me and then I can comment on it because I probably won't notice. 
It's a sad, sad, sad state of affairs, but she could paint a wall black, and I'd probably not notice it for a few days. And uh, she'd go, how do you like the new paint? And i go, what new paint? Oh, oh, yeah, okay, how about that? Anyway, uh, we've got that around. I think that people uh, don't do that. Here's something I read that I was interested in. The practice of draping coffins in the American flag is not reserved only for military veterans and government officials. Actually, any burial may incorporate this tradition. I didn't know that. So I guess if you are, I suppose you'd want to be an American citizen, right? If you're a citizen of some other nation, you know, if you're from Mexico or Canada, maybe you put the Mexican or Canadian flag, respectively, on uh, your uh, your deceased loved one's uh, coffin. Uh, you wouldn't put it on your own because you can't. That's sort of how that works. Uh, I thought that was an interesting thing about flags. Uh, Disneyland, do you know Disneyland, and I know they're controversial today, but if you're going to Disneyland, they've lost like half their value, half in their, their stock value and all of this stuff. I think that's why they're making some moves. The media is, you know, they fired some people and did some things. You know, they're saying it's inside baseball, which it very, could, very well could be. It also could be when your stock price drops in half, you probably need to change some things. And I would suggest you look in the board of directors and ask some people who might have kids, hey, you've got kids, what's the problem? And I'll bet they've got an answer. Uh, they shouldn't be afraid to say, right? Maybe you shouldn't uh, be messing around with your target audience and uh, sexualizing things. Just to, just something I'm thinking about, like as a father going, are we going to go see uh, Lightyear? No, we're not. It used to be that you would go to, uh, even just recently, you know, you could turn on Disney Plus and sort of feel pretty good about whatever your kid might pick out and say, ah, oh, pick out something to watch. Now, not really. You got to go watch it and go, okay, what messages are getting sent in here? Um, I think Disney ought to take a look at that. Anyway, something they still do, which I'm amazed that they still do. There's a couple things that you can do at Disneyland that are amazing. And one of them is every day they do this. They do a flag raising and a flag lowering ceremony. The flag lowering ceremony, it's like four o'clock, you know, depending, I think, on when the sun goes down, they might change it. But they, on Main Street, there's a flagpole right in the middle and they come out, they bring in a whole band and they play God Bless America. They play the Star Spangled Banner. They play taps. They bring the flag down. They honor people who have served in all of the uh, military branches and they bring people out of the crowd who have served, and they'll pick a kid or, or somebody who has served, a veteran, to uh, help fold the flag and lower the flag. It's an amazing thing. When you think about kind of the um, way our country is finding some reason to be offended by that kind of thing, it's a wonderful thing to watch. And a large crowd of people, rather than go on rides and rather than do the fun stuff and get your food and all the stuff that you do at Disneyland, there's a pretty large group of people who hang out for that whole ceremony. And I think the idea is that it used to be very small town, you would do that. And that's the idea of Main Street, right? It's to keep that old small town Americana alive. And uh, that's why they do it. But I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in um, some document from Walt Disney is you will keep this, this ceremony going. Um, that's the only reason I can think that they're keeping it. Because it, it, who else keeps that? Anyway, if you happen to be going to the Mouse House, then that is uh, something to check out. It's right on your, it's right on the uh, the schedule that they give you. Probably on the app today, uh, you would take a look at that. Check it out, Disneyland flag lowering ceremony. It's a, it's great, and you know it makes you feel pretty good. It gives you some hope, and I, I think that is one of the things that we should realize. I think Christians go too far when they put their hope in the country and then who gets elected. 
when our hope isn't in this country or who gets elected, it's in Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is, if you want America to do better, then what we want is people following Jesus Christ. We, we want a country where people are seeking out God. When you look at the 1950s, uh, a lot of things bad in the 1950s, okay, still bad in our country. But there were some movements that were pretty good, and a lot of it has to do with being anti-communist, okay? What was wrong with the communists? A lot, but one of, it, one of the things that was wrong with communism, it was anti-God. Still the same today, by the way. If you want to know why uh, communist, communism fails, part of it is that it makes the state God, and as soon as you make the state God, then uh, you're going to have oppression and you're going to have persecution of the worst kind. You're going to have a Stalin who kills 20 million of his people, your, his own people, just people who disagreed with him. You're going to have a Chairman Mao who does similar thing. You're going to have the collapse of Venezuela. You're going to have the collapse of all this stuff. That's communism. And a big part of it is, is you can't have God. The state is the ultimate authority. And that is contrary to our own country, where the great part about our country is that we believed that the government should somehow be under God. And even though we are creating a country where you could have any religious belief you want, and you could follow whatever religion you wanted to and have the freedom to do that. We did have a Judeo-Christian ethic behind it. And, you know, 1950s, that's when we added the phrase under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. It was something that we said, you know, Lincoln used to say under God, and there was a, there was a God, and there was a, there was a notion in our country that we were under God, that we were submissive to God, that that's how a country ought to be, that there is a God and that our rights actually come from God and not from the government which matters greatly. If they come from the government, then they can be taken away by the government. If they come from God, then they can only be taken away by God. How are you going to do that uh, if you are uh, some kind of tyrant? It's also when we added in God we trust on the coins. It was something that we were making a statement about not just God. A lot of people, you know, including President Eisenhower, did have a personal belief about this. Did you know Eisenhower is the only president to be baptized while being president? He was. He was baptized as the president of the United States. And uh, he had considered himself a Christian before, but he'd never really sort of officially joined a church. And uh, he felt like that was important, joined the uh, Presbyterian church, got baptized, uh, and put in God we trust on the money and under God in the pledge. And that's where that stuff was there. And some of it is about communism and that battle. Some of it was about a country that realized after another terrible, bloody war that we needed God. My friends, that's, a, that's something about uh, our country that we should be in mind, keeping in mind right now. Maybe some of the hard time we're going through, the controversies, the chaos, the difficulty. Maybe God is going to remind us that we need to be submissive to God. And then things get better. And then things come to the surface and we deal with them. Just some thoughts about Flag Day today. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. This is Southern California Live, Tuesday edition. I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, Scott Furrow with you today. So glad to have you with us on our show do you have a method, a way, do you intentionally share your faith? Like, do you have a method to do that? If somebody were just come up to you out of the blue and you weren't even pursuing them and you just said, and they said, hey, tell me how to become a Christian, would you have an answer? Or tell me about Christianity. Do you have a method for doing that or for reaching out? There 
are some interesting studies today that suggest that Christians not only aren't doing that, but they don't have a method. They don't have a tool. Maybe we've overdone it on some tools. Some tools come out once in a while, right? I, I remember uh, when I was a kid, I think it was in the 1970s, I was a little kid, and there were all these bumper stickers that said, I found it. You know, I didn't know what they lost, and somebody explained it to me what it was eventually. Uh, found what they're looking for, I think, found Christ was the idea. And that was those bumper stickers were everywhere. I don't know if, if you were around, you remember that. They were like yellow bumper sticker, I found it. And that was something that would, and people wore buttons and they wore T-shirts and they did different things. And it was something for the for Christians to generate the conversation about Christ. The country was different then, though. I think most people, if you asked even somebody who didn't go to church, you know, what a Christian is or what does it mean to be a Christian, they probably went to VBS or they went to Sunday school at some point. And most people could say, well, Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus died for their sins and rose again from the grave. And uh, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Most people, I think, could say that. I'm not sure that we can say that uh, today as a culture the same way. Um, do you have a method? You can share it with us, 888-528-2557, Have you? Do you feel like you've been taught this? And what I'm getting at is, has the church neglected being very intentional about being disciplers? Have we, have we shifted making disciples to the job of the church or the pastor or the, you know, the guy on the radio? Hopefully that's part of our show, right? But really what we're doing here is, you know, I'm for sure some of you, and we've written back and forth, uh, learn from our time together on our program. But hopefully there's somebody in your life, somebody that you go to church with, somebody that you can sit down at a coffee shop or something or in your home and really talk about the Lord. There is a lot of research that is saying that we just, as the church, that we need to get back on board with this. And I want to encourage you to do that. I'll give you something here pretty soon, but I'd like to know what works for you. Uh, A recent study by LifeWay Research conducted uh, just in April Uh, discovered that about half of believers between the ages of 18 and 49 were not familiar with any method to share Christ, right? And I mean, like we've had in the history of time, we've had the four spiritual laws, a little booklet, and uh, you could just sort of walk somebody through it. It was a great little tool uh, for that. And, you know, have you ever done that before? That was a big deal when I was I don't know, high school, college age, the four spiritual laws. And that was, you could come up to somebody and go, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? And they'd say, what is that? And uh, then you would share it with them. And it'd give you just a couple of minutes. You could share the gospel with them. Um, we don't have that as much. Um, for a while, there was the, uh, the, the bracelets, the what would Jesus do bracelets that kind of got mocked a little bit, you know, WWJD, but it was out there, right? And what it did was it was something that would, it would just, it all gets mocked, you know, by people who want to mock, but it was something that you might do because it might stir that conversation. You know, if somebody were to ask you who you know, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? You know, what, what is it? And it gives you that opportunity. And these are the kind of tools that I have. So according to this study, um, between 18 and 49, most of the people surveyed um, were never, have never been given a tool or a question to ask or a way to kind of start this conversation proactively. Do you have a method of doing that? Is this something you think we ought to be doing? Maybe you're against it. Some of the people in the survey said they don't think we should be doing it that way. 
you know, that maybe if somebody asks, but we shouldn't be proactively sharing Christ. 888-528-2557 is the phone number. 888-528-2557. That's 888-LA-TALKS. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. Uh, and I think it's an interesting thing. There used to be a program, it's still around, called Evangelism Explosion. And uh, that basically it just had one big question, right? If you were to die today, do you know how do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? Right? How do you know? I know somebody recently, well, within the last 10 years or so, who got saved because somebody asked them that question. And it was a, it was a random thing. Now, the thing is that I'm getting at here is that most people who accept Christ, it's not random. Most people, meaning that it's not a stranger, is what I'm trying to say. And that might be the downside of some of these tools. They're not very relational. And if your goal is strangers, well, it's really hard to uh, get into a good conversation with strangers. You ever try to do that? Uh, some people are very good at it. Some people are just, but most people aren't. How do, you, how do you get into a deep, personal, spiritual conversation with a stranger? Unless they're injured or hurt or dying or going through emotional distress, a lot of people aren't interested in hearing about it from anybody. Um, I think people maybe were more open to that, more thoughtful about that, but we're in an era where people are very comfortable not having religious belief at all today. More than at any other time in our, our nation's history, are people more comfortable in saying, ah, I'm not really interested in any spiritual conversation. That's, that's where we are. And I think it's more honest. It's a lot more honest than people going to church who go through the routine of going to church, and I've always gone to church, and I go through a routine, and my mom took me, and here I am, who don't really believe it. You know, if, you don't, if you're not really believing that Jesus died for your sins, if you don't really believe he rose again from the grave, if you don't really want to follow him uh, because you don't really believe that stuff, and you wouldn't, if you don't really believe him, then what are you doing? Um, I think the evangelism, well, anyway, what happened with this guy is a guy went into his shop. He just had a shop. A guy came in and said, hey, can I use the restroom? He said, sure. The guy uh, uses the restroom, and the guy comes out of the restroom, and he looks at the shop owner, and he says, hey, thanks. And he says, hey, by the way, if you were to die today, do you know that you would go to, uh, to heaven? And the shop owner said, uh, nope. And the guy who used the restroom said, would you like to know? The guy says, sure. Shares the gospel with him. Tells him about Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. Uh, went through, I think, the Romans Road, which are different passages in Romans that it doesn't take very long to use those passages to explain the gospel. And uh, the guy said, okay, I'll believe in Jesus. And the guy who used the restroom said, great. Prayed with him, took off. Never saw him again. Didn't have his name. Had no idea. This almost never happens this way, by the way. But then what happened with the shop owner is that he went home and he wanted to uh, figure out what he just believed. And this is the Holy Spirit, I think, working with this guy. He went online, found YouTube videos of really good preachers, fortunately, because there's some real terrible ones on there, and um, started to grow in his faith. And I met him because he showed up at our church and came to my office. He was a stranger and said, hey, I want to be, I think I need to be baptized. And I said, okay, why? And then he told me this whole story about how he accepted Christ from the stranger and he went on YouTube and he's watching all these videos and he says, I think that my next step is to be baptized, which I felt like, hey, you know what? This is a great story. This is evidence to me because you're right, you should get baptized. And he didn't know that other than what he had seen on YouTube. Uh, It started growing his faith. Now, the thing is, is that most of us don't get to know Christ from some stranger. We get to know Christ from a parent, a grandparent, from a friend, a sibling, somebody that we are in relationship with. That's, that's how discipleship works most of the time. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use 
the guy on the bike or use some of these tools in random conversations. Most of the time, God uses you in relationship with the people that he's placed in your life. 888-528-2557 is the number. Uh, Steve from Orange County, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, how are you, Scott? I'm doing fine, Steve. Thanks for calling. What are your thoughts about this? Well, I actually do have a method, believe it or not. And funny, uh, you started talking about, you brought the topic up. I took Evangelism Explosion uh, several, many years ago. Uh, I actually took the uh, instructor's course that my church was offering. Mm-hmm. I went and took and really helped me to hone my, I guess we want to call it skills or ability in sharing my faith on a regular basis. Because evangelism as a Christian, I believe, is a way of life. It's not something you do a checkup list, but it's a lifestyle because knowing what you're saved from mm-hmm. you know, causes you to genuinely try to share that same uh, gospel, the good news with people. And uh, over the years, I have actually adopted it and kind of morphed it into my own personal way, given my atmosphere, my lifestyle at work, because I'm in law enforcement, so I get exposed to quite a various different types of people mm. out there in the world, but mainly also with the people I work with on a regular basis. So that's kind of where I, I'm coming from. But I use a, I adopted a, a way of talking to people on things that's actually, believe it or not, a taboo. I usually normally would ask people, what are the two topics that everybody will always tell you avoid at all costs? Because everybody never agrees on it. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the simple answer is politics and religion. Right. And those are the two topics that nobody should talk about because everybody always has an argument. So I said, okay, then let's talk about the two things that all of us have in common, regardless of where you are, who you are, what your political background is, what country you're from. On this earth, everybody has this two thing in common. And, like, and, that, and people get curious, and then, what, what is that? It's just, well, death and taxes. <laughs> we are going to die, and we all pay taxes one form or another. Even after you die. In the bushes of Africa, or you know, in comedy, wherever you are, you, you pay some kind of form of taxes, but it's to the government. Right. So I'm going to have to go to a break yeah, in a couple of minutes. So how does this get you to uh, the spiritual conversation? Because it's just, and I, I tell them basically, depending on what you believe, what you're where you're headed in eternity, it's going to affect both of the decisions, the important decisions in life, and that's how I bring up the spiritual aspect of our life is not just on this earth; it's an eternal thing. And then that's where I, after that, I bring in, you know, what I believe and the mm-hmm. two EE questions that, you know, the Evangelical Explosion teaches, which is, you know. How, how certain are you going to you know, for certain that you're going to, you know, go to heaven? Right. You know, if you die today, and you know, if God asked you why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? And, and those are the two evangelism explosion questions. Yep. Can I and ask you this before I before I go to a break? Do you find you said you've been doing this for a long time? Do you find it's more effective today, less effective today? Those two questions, or is it about the same for you? I would say it's about the same because mainly most of the people that I talk about these are people that I already work with and have somewhat of a relationship with. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so because so the depending on how much time I have and how how well I you know, know them, the circumstances, it's going to dictate what type of conversation we're having. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference the way I talk to people that I work with versus. The guy I'm about to arrest and take him to jail. It's a big difference. Yeah, it is. You know, 
Steve, I appreciate so your much. call. I, I got to go to a break. Uh, I'm over time there, but that is, uh, I think that's an excellent point that Steve's making here that it's working because he's thinking of it in terms of the relationships that he already has. And this is key to discipleship. Discipleship is what we're called to do. And it happens when you, it's, it's inherently a relational word. I got to take a break. This is Southern California Live. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557. We're talking about uh, evangelism tools and whether or not they work, or do you even have one? 888-528-2557. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. Great to be with you today on this wonderful Tuesday. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. We're talking about sharing your faith. Christian word is you know, evangelism, but really we're getting to the, the heart of discipleship. And looking at the, the scope of the church today, how are we doing? How are we doing with that? Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Do you have a method? That's one of the things that we learned in a study that just came out from Lifeway that asked the question: um, Do you have any uh, method of sharing Christ? Like as a believer, do you have something that's sort of your go-to? Oh, if somebody were to ask me about Jesus, or if I were to be proactively wanting to share my faith, you know, do I have a tool that I use? You know, a tract, or do I have a, a method through the Scripture, Romans Road, or things like that? What do I have? And People 18 to 49 weren't familiar with any tool. 80% of those over 50 were also not familiar with any tool. And maybe that's because, you know, why is that? If people have been in church all this time, doesn't your church have some kind of tool? You know, the answer to that question is often no. You know, uh, and that's part of the thing, right, is maybe we've just sort of rolled our our eyes at these tools and uh, maybe we didn't find them relevant or they didn't really work or maybe we just don't want to. Uh, That's something that we got to do. But... At the same time, we've got to get back to it because we have a culture that needs to know Jesus, and it needs to know Jesus outside of all of the different things that we get in the way, that we put in the way of Jesus. Christians have always done that. It's not just our culture for this time. If you read your Bible, what are these churches doing often? They are putting other values on top of the gospel, and uh, it confuses people sometimes. You mean I have to be, I have to accept Jesus, but I also have to be like you? I have to dress like you or vote like you or think like you, and I need all that in order to follow Jesus. And we got to peel that away. The tools help us with that. The tools that are out there will help us with that. 888-528-2557. Eunice in Los Angeles. Welcome to Southern California Live. How are you doing, Eunice? Great. Thank you very much. Are you Eunice? I just want to say thank you. Yeah, I'm Eunice. Okay. Hi, Eunice. From uh, Midwest, out in Cleveland, down here now in uh, Granada Hills with my wife. We came to babysit our two little granddaughter, uh, grandkids. Oh, well, welcome. Um, so part of your conversations, uh, I mean, after listening to several radio stations, we figured that this radio station that you, you're providing us while we're driving, while listening to, to you when we're not doing anything, is very enlightening. And, um, of course, everybody walks around. Uh, we are all Christians in one form or another. It's just how do we, how do we exhibit that? Are we Christians because we want to show off to become Christians, or are we Christians because we are we ambassadors of Christianity? I don't know. So my take in today's uh, conversation with you, my comment was, I went jogging this morning, 
And on my way back, before we got to the house, my daughter was pulling out mail in the mailbox, and she found a, a flag. So I'm, I, I'm looking at her giving the flag to our little, our little granddaughter, who's uh, two and a half uh, months, two, uh, two years and six months old. And this little kid is sticking the, the flag in the, in the, in the yard. I, I captured that moment uh, with my camera, and I looked at it. I said, if we caught our youngsters at this age, putting in the values and telling them the morals of how society should live, and then with guidance from the rule of law, which is, which is the Bible, really, how can we possibly go wrong if we do that? I don't understand. Yeah. So that's my take on that. Yeah, well, we, I think... We uh, thank you, Eunice, for your call. You know, I think teaching the kids, and that's one of the, the, you know, in the political issues of our day and the stuff that's being taught to kids, right? You know, what we teach the kids, they're going to take with them in life, and they're going to rebel against it, or they are going to eventually kind of come around to things that don't work. But what we're, we're teaching our kids matters, and that's something that's changed. We have We've not been teaching our kids, maybe even in, in church, about sharing their faith as, as much as some other stuff. And they're getting so much teaching that is anti-God uh, elsewhere. Um, that is, a, it's, a, it's a really huge deal. 888-528-2557. Eve, Evie from Los Angeles. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Evie. Go ahead. Are you with me, Evie? Oh, hello. Hi, Evie. We're ready for you. Oh, yeah, this is Amy. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm so excited about this topic that you brought up, uh, sharing our faith. Um, I just feel like this is why we're here as Christians, to share our faith and be as witnesses. And I am grieved, too, that in a large part um, the Church is not doing it. But you know what? Um, I think it, it requires um, a discipline to, to go out um, and share your faith. Um, as I became a Christian 10 years ago, I felt compelled to share my faith, but didn't know how to. And I started going out with a group that would just go out to the parks and share their faith. And I didn't know what to say, but I went out with them. And um, I just learned and stood by and prayed. And um, what I eventually learned is um, prayer is the key to sharing our faith, to ask the Lord for help, to give us the words to speak. And uh, it can be different for each person. But I do find uh, methods important to learn. Uh, I feel like there are different tools in our toolbox that we can uh, bring out at any time as God draws us, you know, or needs us to speak to somebody. So um, what I was going to share is just a few quick, easy ways to share quickly with people as we're out and about. Um, uh, just having a track or a Jesus film, uh-huh. something like that on, on our person and uh, just greeting someone. Hi, how are you? Uh, can I give you a free gift, whether that's going through the line at a fast food or a checkout or just randomly passing by somebody on the street? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, very few people are going to receive a free gift, but yeah. then they might ask, what is this? And then there's the open door to share. This yeah. is uh, the, the genius. Evie, I want to get to some of my other calls. Do you find it uh, easier to share your faith with people you know or strangers on the street? Uh, I find it easier to share with strangers on the street. Okay, so you use tools like the Jesus Film or tracks or things like that. Uh, I mean, that's just one quick method, but right. um, you know, there, there's many ways. If if they're Muslim, I might greet them with "Salam alaikum." You know, can I give you a gift? 
You can be more sure. You can be more strategic with people from different backgrounds. Thank you for your call, Evie. John from Ontario. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying that one of the things about evangelism is, you know, the interesting thing is Jesus told the apostles to go out, and if they accept them, then give freely. But if they don't, just shake the dust off their shoes. And if uh-huh. you look at what's going on in churches today, you have all this, you know, pomp and fluff, lights, cameras, you know, especially after COVID, everybody wants three camera angles on everybody. And stuff. Right. And instead of just breaking down to the solid, solidness of God's Word, do you really believe that God's Word is potent and powerful, or do you have to add the fluff to help it out? You're trying to make it palatable, palatable to people, and that evangelism is like killing ears rather than just getting the meat of the Word. Yeah, well, evangelism... Yeah, John, thank you for your call. And, uh, you know, the the show is, you know, whether you've got a good show going on or you don't on Sunday morning, you know, Jesus is reaching people and has reached people through individuals and groups of people sharing their faith with people they know, people in their relational world forever. That's how it works. Uh, probably, you know, the show might be a tool, but people don't come to Christ because of the show. People come to Christ because you shared the gospel with them. Uh, with the people that God has placed in your life. Maureen from Glendale, welcome to Southern California Live. Maureen, you with us? Can you hear me? Hi, Maureen. Maureen, uh, Maureen go ahead. Hi. Um, I think sometimes fear keeps a lot of people from sharing their faith, but yeah. um, I think if we just be bold and not be afraid of rejection, um, that's what I think the rejection part kinds of, kind of helps keeps people, you know, back from from sharing. And I've definitely had rejection even from old, you know, family members. But yeah. I've become more bold these past few years, especially since COVID and sharing my faith. And sometimes you'd be surprised when you do share your faith with someone, even like a Bible verse to a cousin, a friend, a family member, you'd be surprised the response that you get back. Yeah, it's and, always, always positive. Yeah, Maureen, thank you for that. And and I would say to add to that, the reason you get a great response is because God has put you in their life on purpose to share your faith with them. And some of them are going to reject you, but some of them are not. And because you have that relationship with them, that's why you can. I'm going to try to get one more call in real quick. Ted from City of Angels. Ted, you got 20 seconds. Yes, sir. Ted, City of the Angels. I use comedy. Like when somebody, the uh, checker will say, well, how you doing? Uh, how, did you find everything? I said, I found it a long time ago. I found it in Jesus Christ. You get them uh. laughing. <laughs> and I said, thank you for working. Um, you know, thank you for being a service. that makes the devil nervous. That gets them laughing. And uh, yeah. and a bunch of amens. And, and right. uh, Ted, I, I got a hard break. I got a hard break here, but I appreciate that. You uh, you break the tension there. Hey, everybody, this is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. Thanks for your conversation. Relationships, that's where it's at, my friends. We'll talk more on this subject, of course. This is Southern California Live. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.